We are going to be reading John chapter 13, verses 1 through 30 in the NIV. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, Simon, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was re returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you, know, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not everyone, not though not every one of you. For he knew he was going, who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on the clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set, this, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor, his, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Verse 18. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the, this passage of scripture. He who has shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and asked, said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas, Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas was in charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Honor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the joy of gathering together. I pray that you would help us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher, be our helper. I pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, that we might have just um, a clear view of who you are and who you say we are as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Um, oh, so many things, so many things. Um, I'm actually really excited to, uh, to teach from this passage of scripture this morning. Um, I think it's gonna be super meaningful, hopefully helpful for us. And, um, but before I say any of that, thank you for being here this morning. Um, if we've not met, my name is Simon. I see a few new faces out there. And uh, yeah, it's just such a gift to be able to gather together. Um, welcome if you're online. My three kids and my mom and my dad are all watching online. The kids are down in California with grandma and grandpa. Love you kids. That will make them happy, hopefully. But what a joy to be together. I love how uh, this passage ends, and it was night. The, the writer John, the apostle or the disciple John, who's recorded all of these events, the words of Jesus, all of the, the moments, um, he's such a, such a poet, and the way he sort of writes the things down, um, it's almost like you're reading. In this case, it makes, it sounds like uh, the, the closing of the opening scene of the final act. So we are, we are now in the final act of the gospel according to John. Um, all of the public ministry stuff has happened, all of the teachings and all of the different sort of interactions that Jesus has had with the various crowds as he's gone about and ministered and done miracles. It's all taken place and now they're in Jerusalem Merely hours before Jesus is, is betrayed, arrested, crucified, and he's gathered with his, his, his friends, the 12 disciples, in this little um, upper room in some undisclosed location in Jerusalem. Um, undoubtedly, his disciples would have been uh, processing everything that had just happened leading up to this evening. Of course, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus riding on a donkey, the people crying out, Hosanna, the king has come to save us, and it's a big to-do, and there's all this controversy. Um, the Greeks, we're told that these Greek people, uh, non-Jewish people, Gentiles, have come from God knows where because they've heard the rumors about this Jesus, it's gone global, they've come, they want a meeting with him. Um, of course, Jesus' like cryptic speech on like his own death and what's just about to transpire and the thunderous voice from heaven, God the Father speaking. Um, people wondering what on earth was that all about? So all of these things have just happened and now, now they're gathered for um, what is commonly known as the Last Supper. The Last Supper. What a scene. What a scene. And um, that brings us to verse 2. During the supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. Apparently there was another Judas, not that Judas. Had already put it into his heart to betray him and Jesus knowing that his father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He was not confused as to what was about to happen. He was wholly secure 
lays aside his outer garment and takes a towel, ties it around himself, takes the form of a servant and begins to wash the feet of his disciples, all of his disciples, including Judas himself. This is our God. It says in the book of Hebrews, the opening verses, of, of, it's another letter, kind of a sermon really, towards the end of the New Testament. And the writer says that Jesus is the perfect representation of the very being of God. So if we want to understand who God is, as humans, here it is. We're given this vivid picture. The human God-man, Jesus, gathered with his disciples, takes his outer garment off, takes the form of a servant. And not just any servant. There would have been like a, a hierarchy of servants. The servant who would go so low as to wash the feet of others, that would have been like the untouchable servant. Um, as tradition goes, the Jewish people wouldn't have allowed just any servant, certainly not a fellow Jew, even if they were an indentured servant, to wash the feet of another because that would have just been inhumane, virtually inhumane. And this is the kind of servant that Jesus is in this moment, and this is what our God is like. He comes low, like shockingly low, and he serves his own disciples. I mean, is there another God like this God? It's almost offensive. I mean, just the whole idea that God would be this humble. That God would love his humans, his creatures, his kids with this sort of love, this depth of affection. He loved them all, even Judas Iscariot. Anyone in here uh, relate with Judas? My son is named Judah. I remember my grandfather, just before he died, he was very concerned that we had decided to name our son Judah because it sounded too much like Judas. And I'm like, granddad, that's just, that's, that's silly. <clears throat> I wonder, um, I reckon most of us probably don't relate with Judas. When was the last time you felt demon-possessed and tempted to like deny Christ? Probably not lately, I don't know. <laughs> and yet it makes this um, powerful statement about how far God will go in his love for the humans, for broken people, even for those who had it in their heart, already had it in his heart to betray him. He gets down and he begins to wash the feet of that person, those people. It's unreal. This is our God. 
This is our God. This is also our example. Because Jesus goes on in that same passage to say, now that I've done this for you, do you understand what I've done? Uh, the answer is not really, not, not the extent of it. They still hadn't got their heads around that actually this, is, this in itself was just a metaphor for what Jesus was about to do. Washing feet is one thing, but to actually lay your life down for these men and for the world, for those who would spit at him and even crucify him, that's, that's something else altogether, and we'll, we'll get there in weeks to come. But he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Now, I want you to see this as an example for how you're to love each other. And so that's, that's a radical uh, challenge. I love your 30-day challenge. Here's, uh, here's another challenge. You've got 30 days to wash the feet of someone you really, really don't care for. How awkward would that be? This is our example. He says, this is verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then your Lord, or your master and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. He washes the feet of Judas. That's hard. That's hard. I would contend that it's actually not as hard as washing the feet of everyone else in the room. Here's what I mean. Judas is actually juxtaposed or compared with another person in the room. There's two characters that are highlighted in this moment. There's Judas, obviously, but then there's also Peter. Peter, um, if Judas is the betrayer, if Judas is the one who had it in his heart to, to deny Jesus or to betray Jesus for who knows, I mean, he was the, the guy in charge of the money elsewhere. We're told that Judas um, had a problem with the way Mary was worshiping Jesus uh, because of greed. Uh, this, I don't know if any of us in America can relate with this, but um, greed, that was, that was something that would, was already happening in the heart of Jesus. He could not for the life of him figure out why Jesus would allow someone to worship with such uninhibited extravagance so as to waste money on Jesus. He had a problem, he didn't understand didn't understand that Jesus was to be worshiped. So there was something already uh, churning in his heart. In the end, the devil, it would seem, managed to exploit um, whatever it was that was going on in this man's heart. But that's Judas. Judas, the betrayer. Then there's Peter. I would say Peter is that guy probably sitting next to you in a church pew 
that's not contemplating how he's going to betray Jesus because of, I don't know, maybe issues to do with greed or just simply not understanding why someone would worship Jesus in such a, an, an, an uninhibited way. And so therefore he's gonna go and actually have him arrested and crucified, although I don't know if Judas knew it was, that was gonna happen. Peter is the one who's like just as confused about what Jesus is doing and wants to control the situation. Remember, Peter was the one who when Jesus first begins to talk about how he's come to be crucified, how he's come not to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down for others, Peter is like, no, 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 no. No, Jesus. That's not the plan. That, that's ludicrous. And Jesus, of course, says, get behind me, Satan. Even here at the Last Supper, Jesus, taking the form of an untouchable servant, proceeding to wash the feet of his disciples, Peter's like, no, 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 Jesus. What are you doing? What are you doing? This, isn't, this is not the plan. This is not how I, I envisioned it. Stop it. And he's constantly, compulsively, I would say, trying to control the situation, trying to control Jesus. That's another kind of person. It's another kind of person. And Jesus also washes his feet. I think in my life, I think of um, the people that I've tried to love over the years. Um, sometimes it feels natural in sort of organic affection. Oh, I like this person, they're a wonderful person. Um, they're an attractive person or they're just simply an intelligent, nice person. And you know, some, some people, it's, it feels much more natural to love. And then other people, eh, maybe not so much. Difficult people. I find that the Judases in the world are actually a little bit easier to love. Like those who are so like far, like seemingly far from Jesus. They're like the, 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 the hardcore like atheists or just like, let's, you know, I was, I was outside yesterday and some guy came walking by and he started cussing me out um, and the church and using all sorts of expletives. Um, and I thought, I actually for a moment, I felt like compassion for the guy. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, dude, what a, what a miserable existence. And I just, I just wanted to like hug him or just something. Those are kind of like the Judases, the slightly demon-possessed guy who's like cursing the church as, as he walks by. The people I find more difficult to love are the people who are like, I will never deny you, Jesus, as long as you do what I say and allow me to control everything and everyone around me. Those people are hard to love. The people who wanna make sure that everyone is falling in line, doing all the things, acting the right way. Those are more like the people who are 100% for Jesus, will never deny him, will never, will never do anything wrong 
but who constantly feel compelled to control everyone around them. You know, both Judas and Peter had the same problem. They had the same problem. Both of them struggled to trust Jesus. They were both confused about what Jesus was doing in any given moment, and they both struggled to just trust him. The way Judas dealt with it was by basically withdrawing, was by running away and be like, you know, I'd forget it. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I don't trust Jesus. I don't trust these people. I'm going to, I just, I'm, I don't want any part of this anymore. And they, he withdrew. He withdrew. So he was kind of like the antichrist. Peter, on the other hand, same issue, could not trust Jesus and therefore was constantly trying to control Jesus. Even the people on him, Peter was the one who were told that they're all sitting around and of course the, the one disciple who's leaning up against Jesus, the beloved disciple, Peter turns to him. Oh, this is so, this is so like sixth grade. Hey, ask Jesus who was the one who's gonna betray him. Like, hey, hey, go ask Go ask mama if we can play video games because if you ask, I know she'll say no. It's just so manipulative. It's so insecure. And this is Peter. Hey, ask, find out who's going to betray him. Come back to me. He'll tell you. Find out. Come back to me. He just, he's like, it's like this compulsion to control the situation. Call it anxiety, call it fear. The compulsion to control is actually rooted in fear. And fear played out will always end in violence. Peter was also the one, when Jesus was being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, drew out his sword and hacked off the ear of Malchus. The priest's assistants John actually tells us his name, it's Malchus, weird. The compulsion to control is rooted in fear and fear played out will always result in violence. Judas and Peter had the same issue. They were afraid to trust Jesus and they both reacted in different ways and Jesus washed the feet of both of them. What an incredible God. What an insane example. Not only does he love us this way, but then he says, now, go on. And the way that you have been loved, I want you to love each other. Who do you find easier to love, Judas or Peter? Let me put it this way. Who do you find it easier to love? The person who's like way outside of the church, confused, just living for whatever, non-Christian, however you want to put it, or the person sitting in the pew who obsessively wants to control all the other Christians around them, constantly needing to know about their sin, their theology, and what they're up to, what they're doing. Who's easier to love? The sinner out there or the brother or sister sitting right here? I know, we're all sinners. One just presents much differently. And Jesus washes the feet of both of us. 
I have the same problem that Judas has. I have the same problem that Peter has. I really, really struggle to trust Jesus. Sometimes I just want to run. Sometimes I feel compelled to control. It's all rooted in fear. And Jesus wants to wash my feet as well. I'm pretty sure I'm not alone. We get dirty feet. The, the picture of you know, these uh, ancient Middle Easterners walking around on the dirt roads, probably occasionally stepping in camel dung, picking up all sorts of nastiness. They would come into the house, and um, at my house, from time to time, one of the kids will step in dog poop. Occasionally, I will step in dog poop or cat poop. We have way too many animals in our house. Occasionally, I'll actually step in something in my own kitchen. That's always fun. And you track it through the house, and someone's got to clean up the mess. It's usually a mama or a papa. There's a picture here of like God's kids wandering through the streets of Portland, going about our lives, living in the world, and then we come to a place like this, and um, yeah, occasionally one of us will track something in the house. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? I think oftentimes, um, the, the natural reaction is to kind of look at it like, Ugh, dude, what did you step in? Like, clean yourself up. Have you stepped in cat, cat poop lately? It's nasty. It smells bad. <laughs> clean yourself up. What does Jesus do? He says, come here. Let me clean you up. Let me clean you up. <clears throat> I think sometimes we, um, we struggle to love each other well. We're a little bit better at just sort of diagnosing each other. You know, so Josh, he tracks in dog poop, metaphorically. Uh, into the church building, and I'm like, ah, oh, dang, Josh, like, brother, what's, what'd you step in? Now, the easy thing to do, and I would say this, like, in the name of love, is to be gone, well, let me, let me point out to you, like, how bad you smell. Let me point out to you, like, where your theology is off, and let me point out to you how you've done it all wrong, and you're filthy, and you stink, and I can talk about all the things, and I can even be like, oh, Josh, let me, uh, let me point you to uh, the scriptures here, or actually better yet, let me just take this sword of the spirit, and I can begin to think that I'm loving well, and actually it is super, super loving to say, brother, let's, let's go to God's word together. Oh, it's a super loving thing to do, but here's the trick. Here's the trick. Oftentimes, we can take the sword of the spirit. By the way, this is not the sword of Simon. This is the sword of the spirit. I often like, Holy Spirit, Give me your sword for a second. I need to, I need to speak the truth in love. <laughs> am I speaking truth in love or am I compulsively trying to control the people around me because your stinky toes make me uncomfortable and I need to tell you about it so that you can fix yourself and, and come back once you're all cleaned up? Or could it be that Jesus wants to teach us how to love each other well? 
And be like, look at you already know you stink. You're very, very aware that you stepped in something. Brother, come here. Let me, um, let me minister to you. Let me help you. Let, let me get close to you. It's all right if I get my hands on it. Let me wash your feet. Let me get into the muck with you. Eventually, obviously, we're going to end up talking about things. And where, where, did, where were you that you stepped in this? What happened? How are you doing? You look like you're a little embarrassed about the whole thing. Like, are you okay? You know you don't have to be embarrassed. Oh, my goodness. I've stepped in poop so many times. You don't, you don't need to be ashamed. Not, not, not here. Not here. It's, it's okay. I got some on my hands. You're all right. This is the model of how Jesus loves us. It's deeply personal. It's radically patient. It's insanely hard. How does Jesus love his disciples like this? Well, it starts with being loved. We can't love people if we've not been loved. We love because he first loves us. If you find certain people in like certain religious settings um, constantly sort of like living under this compulsion to control the people around them, they're the most difficult people to love and they're the people who need to be loved the most. I'm telling you, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years this is what's happening. The people who present as like religious hypocrites, constantly like being the theological watchdog and pointing out the, 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 the splinter in everyone else's eyes, they are the hardest people to love and the people who need to be loved the most. The way we love people like that is like Jesus. It requires us realizing, like, I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. I know that in Jesus Christ, I don't have to get defensive. I don't have to, 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 to be the one pointing out everyone else's dirty feet. I know who I am. It says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all things under his power, knowing where he had come from, knowing where he's, these are all words of security. These are identity words. Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was loved. He wasn't confused about where he stood with his Father. And this empowers us to love each other. We can love when we are being loved. We can't skip over that part. There's also something very missional about what's going on at this Last Supper. You know, we um, really want to reach our city. Um, we we want to introduce like as many people as possible to Jesus in Portland. I'd, I'd love to see our church like bursting at the seams people coming in around the neighborhood, in Beaverton, Tiger, Gresham, like all over. It doesn't matter how cool would it be if this little church building that we bought about two years ago, that's just become this like, uh, it's uh, what's the word, like when something begins to just like flourish and come alive, not like a Petri dish, that's, that's like the wrong thing. <laughs> 
But when like the bacteria of creativity just starts to like overtake a place, I love your, your artwork, right? You know, she started up in the bell tower, it's the coolest thing. She converted, Josh and Raya converted our bell tower into an art studio, it's super cool. And you go up there, you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And it slowly started to like spill down. The room beneath her on the balcony level, it's like the coolest room in the whole building. It's yellow and there's butterflies. And it's just like, the, it's the prettiest place in the whole building. And then it kind of spilled out, kind of splashed up onto the cross and kind of, if you walk around, you can kind of say, oh, that's, oh, it looks like Raya touched that. Raya touched that. And finally it made its way out onto the sidewalk. And she's not alone. She's not alone. Actually, I could spend a good hour up here talking to you about like all of the people who have like found ways to serve and be creative. I was here yesterday with Hannah and Connor putting trim in the basement. It's like properly hard work and most people will never ever notice it. And there are so many people who have found places to serve and be creative. Here's the thing, we're not trying to like like hoard our love in this little building. We want to invite, we want to see it spill out onto the sidewalk into the streets, and we want to invite anyone to come to this place and begin to be loved the way Jesus loves us. And there's something missional about washing each other's feet. Let me read to you, and I'm going to close in a sec, from the the book of Philippians, this is in the New Testament, chapter two, starting in verse three. This is one of the letters that was written to one of the early churches. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, And then the writer goes on to say, therefore, the same chapter, therefore work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. As we learn how to love each other like Jesus loves us, washing each other's feet, ministering to one another, bearing with one another, like loving the really difficult ones to love, we become like lights shining in a dark place. Not bickering, not blaming, not accusing, not judging, not condemning being like innocent children, getting down on our hands and knees to clean each other up, to love each other in the mess, to have a posture of a servant that we would go low, really, really low, offensively low. begin to touch each other. Man, let me help you. 
instead of just like hurling truth at each other from a distance, let me get really, really close to you and begin to touch your nasty feet. Get that stuff on my hands because you're my brother. You're a fellow child of God. And when the church, when we start to love each other like that, it it displays the power of God to a twisted and crooked, broken world that's looking for love. This is our God, this is our example. And he loved them to the end. Did you get that? This is in the first verse of our text today. And he loved them to the end. Not until they got too annoying to tolerate anymore. Not until they said the wrong thing or got the wrong theology. Not until they tracked poo into the house for the, I don't know, dozenth time. Not until they were just too difficult to put up with anymore. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. That's crazy. So even when you stop loving me, oh, and I, I love being a pastor, it's, it's just the best thing because I just get to like, just subject myself to like, just, it's just miserable being up here. I love it. <laughs> but like, the, the trying to actually say something knowing full well, like, God, if you don't do something, this is just embarrassing. And loving people, loving people, loving people, loving people, and literally watching people like just walk out, be like, I didn't like that last thing you said, peace. It's like super painful. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I'm being vulnerable. It's really, really painful to be rejected when people kind of look at you as like, oh, you're like, you're not an actual human. You're just a Bible teacher. Like I get rejected a lot, actually. I don't mean, "Ah, woe is me, feel sorry for me, maybe a little bit, but... Like, loving people, being rejected by people, being misunderstood by people, being judged by people, being told by people routinely how to do my job better. Oh my goodness. And he loved them to the end. He didn't stop loving Judas even when he had the devil inside of him. He didn't stop loving Peter even when he couldn't stop controlling everyone, everything around him. He loved them to the end, to the end. He didn't stop, he didn't relent. And you know why we can do the same thing? Because he won't stop loving you. No matter how hard you might try to run, no matter how Judas-esque you might feel, no matter how compelled you are to control the people around you and be that person, he won't stop loving you. He won't stop loving you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the God who gets down, who gets low, who gets his hands on our mess, and he cleans us, he makes us whole. He won't stop loving you. 
And when we've been loved like that, give me your feet. Give me your feet. Come in here with all your nastiness. Get close. Be vulnerable. Tell someone what you really think. Let's clean each other up. Connect with that person who you're nothing like. Okay, I'll end here. Adam preached an excellent message last week, and he said something about um, how do we grow in our faith? How, how do we like believe better or something like that? And he said, Simon, we'll, we'll cover that next week. <laughs> okay. I will. You want to mature spiritually? You want to grow in your faith? I'll give you something practical to do. Find someone that you find very difficult to love. Like someone who properly annoys you. Make that your person to connect with in 30 days. Figure out how to love them well. It will actually cause you to start praying, perhaps like you've never prayed before. God, help me. No, seriously, God, help me. That's how you grow spiritually. You learn how to love people like Jesus. You learn how to love difficult people, Judas's and Peter's alike, like you have been loved. That's real. You wanna, you wanna become spiritually mature? Find someone you don't wanna be with and learn how to love them. Serve them. Wash their feet. Lay your hands on them. Pray for them. Befriend them. And when they act awfully towards you, love them to the end. Don't stop loving them. Don't stop loving them. Can we stand together, please?